Thomas, you can give a big urban church welcome, would you, today for Brian Allen, who becomes All right, all right, how you guys doing? Does anyone here today love Jesus Christ? How about the rest of you? Is there anyone here today that loves Jesus Christ? So could you stand to your feet? Let's get the party started right. Let's give some praise and honor to the only one who hung on a cross for you. Come on, just begin to shout the name of Jesus. Lift your hands to heaven. Begin to bless the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he has eyes of fire. There's a rainbow around his throne, and he wants to ignite passion inside of you. Life is better with passion. Can I get an amen? amen. Marriage is better with passion. Family is better with passion. Career is better with passion. Education is better when you have a teacher that loves what they're teaching. Sex is better with passion. All the married couples said, that was your cue. All right. If not, go get some passion tonight. I will. Amen. And so life is better with passion. God intended you to live a life full of white hot passion for him. In Revelation 3, 15 and 16, Jesus said something very seeker sensitive. He said, because you're not hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. The Greek is really strong. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Really beautiful, sweet, little, tender, eight pound, six ounce Jesus. Never heard a soul. There in his little golden fleece diaper, so sweet, so tender. And he says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Now listen, lukewarm water is not bad water. You ever thought about that? It's not polluted water. It's not dirty water. It's just water that's been away from the heat source for a while. And see, God wants us to live white hot, burn white hot for our God. Burn full of passion. I love what the missionary to South America, Elliot said, Brother Elliot said, I'd rather burn out for God than rust out for myself. See, we got to burn for our God. We want to burn white hot. And so we have a message of passion for you today. Because I believe that life is better. Church without passion becomes a lifeless institution instead of being a life-giving force in the world today. San Diego needs a church full of passion for Jesus Christ. Can I get an Amen. So I'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourselves because I know that you guys are some Latins here. Latins are passionate people. I married a Latin woman. She is full of passion. I mean, when she sees me in the morning, she says, get over here, man candy. Let me break off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. Man, I feel some passion when she looks in my eyes. It's embarrassing. I'm, I'm blushing right now. Don't look at me that way. Preaching, woman. But she's Latin, and there's some beautiful Latin people here, and there's some gringos here too. But gringos, we get passionate too, right? I and mean, we get, we, we ain't got no rhythm, but we get jiggy anyway. Come on. And so I want you, when I get to three, just to give God the biggest, loudest, baddest praise you've ever given him. Can we do that, church? One, two, three. Here we go. Come on. Yeah. Jesus. Jesus. Woo! There's a party going on in here today, Urban Church. Come on, give him praise, give him praise. Somebody give him some crazy praise in the house right now. Yeah! Woo! All right, give somebody a high five and grab your seats.
unlike Pastor Ben, I was a rapper. Uh, ben has no rapping skills. He's tall. He's got the, I'll give him that. He's tall. But uh, I used to be a rapper. My stage name is White Chocolate. And uh, so, man, I, man, I was feeling your flow, baby, man. I, I was there with you. I, I mean, I was getting, oh, I don't know if you saw me. Yeah, I was, oh, yeah. I was feeling you. I used to be a rapper. Uh, maybe you've heard of one of my songs. Ding, 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 da, da, ding, ding. Ding, 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 da, da, ding, ding. All right, stop. Collaborate and listen. Christ is back with a brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll glow. Through the extreme, I rock a mic like a vandal. Lap a stage by something like a candle. Dance. All right. You can buy my CDs. They're, they're at the back. White chocolate revolution. It's at the back. So I want my beautiful wife, Mercy, to stand. She's embarrassed to death. Like, I don't know this man. I don't know this man. He kidnapped me. This is my beautiful wife, Mercy. Go ahead and wave at them like the Queen of England. Just give them a little British wave right there. All right. I love Pastor Ben. I love Pastor Ben. Some of you probably don't know this, and he didn't share this, but I hope it's okay that I do. But Ben and I are actually uh, brothers, not brothers in Christ. We're actually biological brothers, and we were separated at birth. We were both born at the Glendale Hospital, and he was adopted and raised by the Brinkman family. And I was adopted and raised by the Alward family. We're separated. We're both 36. And that's true. We're biological twins. And there was a movie back in the 80s that was loosely based on our life story. It was called Twins. I don't know if any of you saw us with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. And, uh, of course, you, know, you can tell I'm, I, Arnold was my, and he was DeVito. And uh, loosely based on our life story. But we're twins. And uh, we've been reunited, and, and I love this man. I love his wife. I love his girls. They are the real deal. They are the real deal. So I want you to honor your pastor and his wife right now. Can you guys give a big shout of praise for Pastor Ben and Pastor Katie and their two beautiful girls? When I met Pastor Ben, he was in Las Vegas, and, but he was dreaming about you. He was praying and fasting for San Diego. He was somewhere else, but his heart was here. And he was praying for people that were going to come from Connecticut. He was praying for rappers that were going to light it up like Curtis. He was praying for you. Him and Katie were praying and fasting and believing that God would use them one day to build a life-giving, spirit-filled church right here in San Diego. And they love you, and they weep over you, and they are the real deal. I know him. I know all his flaws. There's a lot of them. Just a few. But... I know them, but they are the real deal. Men and women of integrity, men and women that you can trust your life with because they will teach you the pure word of God. And so it's just an honor uh, to be with you this morning. I have a word for you straight from the throne room of God. Revival is coming. The greatest awakening in the history of the church is coming to America. It's coming soon. On June 21st, 1971, the front cover of Time magazine said the new G the Jesus Revolution. And it was about the Jesus movement, the Jesus freaks, the, the Jesus people in the 70s, the drug addicts and drug dealers and prostitutes that were getting saved. It was birthed here in Southern California, the Jesus movement. And these were people that were getting saved by the hundreds and by the thousands and by the millions. And the front cover said the Jesus Revolution. It's been 40 years since the Jesus Revolution. Revolution, this past month has been 40 years. How many know that God moves in generations? God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is the God of generations. God moves in things in generations. And every generation, I don't know if you know this, but every generation since the founding of America has had a major re national revival and move of God. I don't know if you know that. 
because they will not teach you that in school. But in the 1730s, we had the first great awakening. Before we had our Independence Day, we had a great national move of God. Before the, revo- the flames of revolution spread across our nation, there was another type of fire that spread. It was the fire of revolution, the fire of great awakening. And in 1733, the Holy Spirit hit a church in Northampton, Massachusetts. The pastor's name was Jonathan Edwards. For two years, they had a revival that changed the fabric of society. It spread all across all 13 colonies of New England. Did you know that? It's called the First Great Awakening. But then the revival began to dissipate. Do you know why? For about three or four years, five years, the the revival kind of stopped. Here's why. Because that revival was attacked for being emotionalism and fanaticism. Because people would get up and run around while Jonathan was preaching. Right? You, you've seen the pictures of Jonathan. He's a Puritan preacher. But people would get up and run around the sanctuary while he was preaching. People would be rolling in the aisles, crying, weeping under the heavy conviction of sin. People would cry and moan and groan, shake. They called them the shakers. And so they, they, they accused this of being, oh, this is just emotionalism. Anyone ever hear that attack today against the spirit-filled church? Oh, it's just emotionalism. And so the revival stopped. But in 1741, a man by the name of George Whitfield came to that church. He was a British preacher, and he came to America. He was preaching all over America, and he came to Jonathan Edwards' church. And as he was preaching, he began to say to Jonathan, he was sitting on the front row like Pastor Ben, a giant of a man. And he said, Jonathan, you were the founder of revival in America. I heard about you, and I came to America because what I heard of what you birthed. And he began to share about the revival. And he said, don't let the critics stop the move of God in your heart. And he began to speak to it. And Jonathan Edwards began to cry on the front row because the revival had stopped. There was no move of God in his church because of criticism. And George Whitfield began to speak and declare and say, this was the church that started the first great awakening. You need to get it back. And he cried the whole time on the front row. People who were there said that Pastor Edwards weeped the whole service. A few months later, he went to Connecticut, Enfield, Connecticut. He preached a sermon. Maybe you've heard of it. Sinners in the hands of an angry God, the most famous sermon in American history. And it was 11 reasons why God is justified in sending you to hell if you don't repent of your sins. Very seeker-sensitive. Revival began to spread. In the 1780s, you had another major move of God. In the 1820s was the second great awakening. In the 1860s, during Civil War, there was a great awakening here in America. There were camp revival meetings during the Civil War. Then in 1906, you had at Azusa Street. In Los Angeles, California, you had the Azusa Street Revival, the great awakening that spread from L.A. to all around the world. In the 1740s, you had the Healing Revival. And then in the 1970s, you had the Jesus Movement and the Charismatic Revival simultaneously. Where people got saved, water baptized, spirit filled, got the gift of tongues, got rid of their drugs, and got changed by the power of God. It's been 40 years. Can I prophesy to you today that a great awakening is coming, that God will not forget our generation. We have not had a major national move of God in 40 years. We've had pockets of revival in Brownsville here or there, but they never became a national movement. And I'm here to declare that God is going to bring a revival to the city, an awakening to the city. And an awakening in Wells under uh, Evan Roberts, 1904. 100,000 people got saved in, in, in Wells in Great, in, in, in Great Britain in 1904 in six months through one man. He was 26 years old, had not been to Bible college. He was a coal miner who got set on fire, forgot it just takes one. 
100,000 people saved in six months. He took six young teenage girls with him, him and his friend Sidney, and six teenagers that would sing, and they would do revival services all over, 50, 40,000 at a time. They gave the judges white gloves. This is in British history. They gave the judges white gloves because there were no, there were no crimes to try. There were no crimes. Bars shut down, became churches. This is a true story. They had to retrain the farm animals, the work animals, the oxen and the horses and the mules. They had to retrain the animals. This is part of history. This is documented. Because they were used to receiving commands with curse words. And so the people stopped cursing and the animals didn't understand them. This is a true story. So they had to retrain the work animals. Because the fabric of society was changed by a move of God. San Diego does not need another mega church. It does not. You guys have plenty. Share some with Albuquerque. Now, we need some big churches. We, we're struggling. You guys don't need another big church, but you need a church that's been branded by the fire of God. You need a church set on fire with the love and the power of Jesus Christ that will change the fabric of society. If you believe that, go and give God a big shout of praise. Revolutions start with a few people. The Facebook revolution in Egypt. The most stable, long, longest enduring government in the Middle East and all the Arabic nations was in Egypt. It was the one nation they said there would never be revolution. It took a few people getting on Facebook. The Facebook revolution. It started with a few people with a fan page and this and that. And they started a revolution. And in 18 days from the first protest to the day the government came down was 18 days. 18 days. What God could do in 18 days in San Diego. What God could do in six weeks. Not just through a marketing campaign, but through people set on fire by God. You don't, don't underestimate what God could do. It takes a few. How many know what free radicals are? Do any chemists in the house today? Any biology majors? Free radicals are atoms with unpaired electrons in an open shell. So what are free radicals for? You cannot have combustion without free radicals. When free radicals collide, when there's a chain reaction between free radicals, that's when you have ignition. That's when you have fire. That's when you have combustion. You cannot have combustion without a chain reaction of free radicals colliding. And here's what God spoke to me back in August. He said, in order for a revival fire to spread and change a nation, you need a, a chain reaction of free radicals colliding to create ignition and burning and combustion and fire for God. We need in San Diego some free radicals to collide and create a chain reaction of events that lead to set this city on fire for God. If you believe that, give God a big shout of praise right there. And I want to challenge you to become some free radicals. Become radical. Get radical for Jesus Christ. Get radical in your worship. I saw some of you. The movies was going, and you were like, oh. You know, your hands started to come up. Pastor Benson raised your hands. You were like. <laughs> yeah, like Nobody saw me, you know. It's like you know, music was going, and people were clapping, and you're like. You know, it was like, be radical in your praise. Be radical in your praise. I mean, one of the dumbest things in the world is when millions of teenagers dance to Justin Bieber. I mean, this is one of the dumbest, am I right, Dumb phenomena in history. But some of you guys dance to Usher, to Black Eyed Peas, to whoever. You'd be getting down. Why not get down for Jesus? 
See, the Bible says in Psalm 147, verse 3, praise the Lord with dancing. So we need some dancing in the house. We need some passion in worship. If you can dance for the devil, why can't I dance for Jesus Christ? Come on. Don't call me weird. I'm just getting started. All right. I want to share a story with you about a man named John Wimber. How many have heard of John, the great, late John Wimber? Uh, John Wimber, incredible man of God. He has a book called Power Evangelism. Every believer should read that book. It's a must read. He was the president of the Vineyard Movement here in America of churches for many years. He was the pastor of Vineyard of Anaheim for many, many years. Man of God that really has impacted my life. He was a drug addict and a musician, a famous rock star musician, actually, the Righteous Brothers. And uh, he got saved. He got off drugs. And he began to get into the Gospels. And he began to get obsessed with the life of Jesus. And he began to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Juan. And he just been through the Gospels and got just reading the Bible. And so after a few months just reading the, the Gospels, he, he went to this church. And the preacher preached at the church. He met the preacher in the lobby. And, and he met the preacher. And I'm John, and this is my wife. And, and he said, hey, preacher, when do we get to do this stuff? When do we do the stuff? And, and the preacher looked at me and says, I, I don't understand. What do you mean the stuff? And he says, you know, the stuff. No, I don't know. What are you talking about? The stuff. And he goes, you know, the stuff they did in the Bible. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cure lepers. When do we get to do that? And the preacher said, oh, the stuff. <laughs> now, we believe they did the stuff in the Bible days, but we don't do the stuff anymore. And John, just confused and shocked, looked at him and said, you mean I gave up drugs for this? <laughs> the gospel is not a mental agreement with, with a God out there. That's no different than any other religion. God does not want your mental assent or mental agreement. He wants a heart transformation. He wants you to radically surrender your life to him. In the 80s, my boy Stevie Wonder wrote a song called Part-Time Lovers. Some of you were getting born in the 80s, but uh, I was rocking it in the 80s. Come on, somebody. And he wrote a song called Part-Time Lovers. Listen, Jesus Christ does not want to be your part-time lover. He wants to be your full-time God. He said in Exodus 20 and verse 5, I will not share your affection with any other gods. I will not share your affection with your career. I will not share your affection with your spouse. I will not share your affection with your BMW. I will not share your affection with anything else. I want your full heart. I want your full devotion. God doesn't want to be your part-time lover. He wants to be your full-time God. And some of you have been coming here, but God right now is a part-time lover. You date him on Sundays, but you're two-timing him on Mondays. God will not be your part-time lover. He says, give me all or give me nothing. Put me first or put me last. But I will not be your part-time lover. God wants full devotion. So John Wimber was just shocked by this. When do we get to do the stuff, the stuff that Jesus did? So today, I have a message for you. In the next few moments, I want to share with you called doing the stuff. Tap your neighbor on the shoulder and say, are you doing the stuff? Touch your other neighbor and say, you look like you're on the stuff. Some of you guys really look like you're on the stuff. I'm not, I'm not just saying that. Huh? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to read uh, Matthew 10 verses 1, 7, and 8. I want you to stand to your feet. No, you're not done. We're just getting started. <laughs> you know, I saw some go, hallelujah, right now. Now we're just, I'll have eight more altar calls before we're done. Okay. 
Matthew chapter 10, verses 1, 7, and 8. Do we have that on the screens? We do? Okay. I want to read this with you. I want you to read it out loud because I want you to get it into your spirit. So on three, we're going to start in Matthew 10 and verse 1, and we're going to go 7 and then 8. And so 1, 2, and 3. It says, he called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Verse 7, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. All right, now verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. All right, give somebody a high five and grab your seats. Listen, what kind of church is Urban Church? Now that you've met the guest speaker, you're like, I'm not sure. I thought I knew. Now I have no idea. I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> He's on the board. I'm feeling kind of nervous. It's okay. I get nervous too. It's all right. What kind of church is Urban Church? We're a Bible church. But let me define to you what a Bible church is. Here's what the Bible says. Blessed are not the hearers of the word, but come on, how many of you know your Bibles? But the, the doers of the word. Blessed are not the hearers of the word, but the doers. A Bible church is not a church that does expository preaching for an hour on Sunday mornings. A Bible church is a church that is doers of the word. That we do the Bible stuff. We do the Jesus stuff. We do what Jesus did. That is a Bible church. Can I get an amen up in here right now? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 20, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. We talk a good talk in the American church. But we don't walk it. As my boy Reinhard Bonnke says, a gospel without power is nothing at all. A gospel without power is nothing at all. Listen, a powerless gospel, a gospel without the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit is not a gospel that Jesus or his apostles would have recognized. That is not a gospel that you will see in the Bible. A gospel with just word but no demonstration is not the Bible gospel. That is another gospel. That is half the gospel. That is Bible light. Because they didn't just preach the word, they practiced the word. They didn't just talk about healing in past tense terms. They healed the sick in the middle of the service. They didn't talk about team demons in philosophical terms. Jesus would cast out demons out of people in the middle of the service. That might make you a little uncomfortable, but that means you're too, you're too comfortable to be in a Jesus-style church. If you don't want to see demons cast out in the middle of church, then you would not have wanted to go to Jesus' church. And I'm sorry, if you don't want to go to a Jesus-style church, you're not ready to be a Christ follower. Oh, it got real quiet right there. Somebody give me an amen. All right. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4 and 5. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So your faith may not rest on wind's wisdom, but on the power of God. And so I want to talk to you today about doing the stuff. Real quick, five things we need to do here today. Number one, everyone say, I will preach the gospel. Say, I will preach the gospel. I want everyone to say that. Say, I will preach the gospel. Matthew 10, verse 7, he said, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 4, 17 says, Jesus came with his message. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. There were two main components to Jesus' preaching, repentance and the kingdom. And yet you'll hear very little of that in the American church today. Very little repentance and very little kingdom. We have nice little sermonettes for Christianettes. Nice little self-help talks. 
We need to preach repentance for the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent means turn away from your sins and turn to the living God. That's what we need to be hurt. People need real life change from the inside out. We need to talk about the kingdom of God. It's not a matter of talk, but of power and demonstration. The most important thing in the world is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you today, are you ashamed of the gospel? Do every one of your classmates and teammates and friends and coworkers and family know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? If not, you just might be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was not ashamed. He wanted the whole world to know that he was a preacher and a follower of Jesus Christ. He said in 1 Corinthians 9.16, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. What is the gospel? What does it mean in Greek? It means good news. Everybody say good news. If it ain't good news, it ain't gospel. Here's the good news. You're a sinner. You were born in sin. Without Christ, you will go to hell. Hell is a real place. Don't listen to what Rob Bell says. It is a real place. Jesus said it is. I believe Jesus, not some preacher in Michigan. Can I get an amen right now? Jesus said it's real. I believe it. I'm banking my life on the fact that what Jesus said is true. And maybe it's not. I might be wrong, but I'm making my life that what Jesus said is real. That if I don't repent of my sins and put my faith in him, I will spend eternity in hell forever and ever and burn in a lake of fire without him. I'm making my life on that. I want to repent of my sins and put my faith in him. Are you with me today? So number one, we need to preach the gospel. I want to ask you right now, who are you going to tell about Jesus today? If you go out of this place and you come back next Sunday and you didn't tell anyone about Jesus, you're not living for Christ. You're playing church. And I know that this man and this woman did not lay down their life for people that just want to play church. But I can see here there's some people here that are real. There's some people that say, man, we're not playing around. We take this seriously. We're here to live and burn for Jesus Christ. Who are you going to share the gospel with? That is not for preachers. That's for you and for me. It's for every one of us to share the gospel. Who are you going to share Jesus with this week? Turn to your neighbor and say, do the stuff. Say, do the stuff. I can't hear you. Say, do the stuff. Now, see, I, I come from a church called Passion Church. We're a very passionate church. We're a very vocal church. When, when, when I'm preaching, people get up and shout. Some people wave hankies. Some people throw money. I really like that. And so as I'm preaching, as I'm wrapping up here today, you can say, yo, preacher, yo, holler at your boy. You can say, preacher, white boy. You can shout up. You can dance around. I don't care. But see, the more you shout and holler, the faster we're going to get out of here. The more quiet you are, the longer I'm going to go. So it's up to you because I got 40 more pages of notes. We can go all day. We can preach from Genesis to Revelation. So say, preach it, white boy. All right, here we go. Number two, everybody say, heal the sick. I can't hear you. I can't feel you. Say, heal the sick. Say, I will heal the sick. Say, I will heal the sick. All right, that's good. Matthew 10, 8. He said, heal the sick. Number one, what are we going to do? I will preach the gospel. Number two, what are we going to do? Say it with me. I will heal the sick. I will heal the sick. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Jesus healed everyone. But in America, we reduce Jesus to a really good teacher. Jesus was a really good teacher. who's going to help you live life. We've turned Jesus into Oprah. That's what we've done. I don't want to serve Oprah. I love Oprah. Praying she gets saved and tithes to Passion Church. But I do not want to bank my eternity on Oprah. Hallelujah. If you're listening, Oprah, love you, girl. You need Jesus. All right. Jesus healed people on a daily basis. Jesus was not just a teacher. He was a healer. 
he was a healer. But in America, we've reduced him to this really good teacher that didn't offend anybody. I don't know who that Jesus is. That's not the Jesus. When he preached, there were riots. <laughs> he had to leave some cities because they wanted to stone him and kill him. I mean, this was not a politically correct Jesus. There was no PC in Jesus. He spoke the offensive truth. It says he was the rock of stumbling, that at him people would rise and fall. Some would, would surrender and some would be offended. San Diego does not need a politically correct gospel. We need a healing church. And I declare and I prophesy as vice president of Urban Church, there's coming a wave of healing to this church. I prophesy it. I release it right now over you. But you need to do the healing. You need to receive that. Inside of every believer is the power to heal the sick. How do I know that? That's just you're just saying that because you're crazy. Well, yeah, I am crazy for Jesus. I'm madly in love with Jesus Christ, and I really don't care what you think. I'm married to a hot wife, the three most beautiful kids in the world. I serve the best church in the world. I really don't care what you think about me. I love you, but I don't need you to like me today. I need you to hear the truth today. Inside of you is a dormant power. The most powerful force in the universe lives inside of you. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit seals you, seals your salvation. He comes as a token of your salvation. He lives inside of your heart. So inside of every believer... How many of you are followers of Jesus? Are you repented of your sins and you put your faith in Christ? Raise your hands. Awesome. About eight of you. That's awesome. No, no. Okay, most of you. All right. Uh, you have Holy Spirit power inside of you. Jesus, healing isn't something Jesus does. It's who he is. About one of his names is Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. It's who he is. It's in his nature. He's a healer. And he wants to heal his people. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just pay the price for your sins. He paid the price for your healing. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, by his stripes, we've already been healed. It's past tense. By his stripes, in the atonement, is healing. And as a believer, you can claim it anytime you want it, baby. Matthew 15, 26 says that healing is the children's bread. Healing is the children's bread. How many of you have kids? Raise your hands. How many of you wish you didn't have kids sometimes? All right. A few of you. All right. <laughs> All right. Some honest people here today. That's pretty awesome. But I don't know about you, but my kids, they don't have to ask to get a piece of bread in my house. Like if I see them grabbing a piece of bread, what are you doing, stupid kid? You know? It's like, you know? So they can have bread anytime they want. Now, the T-bone steaks, they can't get that out and fry that anytime they want. But bread and water and juice, milk, they can get that out of my fridge. How about your kids? And we don't have a lock on our refrigerator with a coat, right? What kind of jacked up parenting would that be, right? My kids can eat bread in my house anytime they want. It belongs to them. Anything I have is theirs, except my B&W that I'm claiming by faith. Hallelujah. That was a word for someone here today. <laughs> 750 LI 2008 with a black imperial. Thank you. Amen. Just raise your hand if that's you. Thank you. I see that hand. All right. My kids don't have to ask for bread. What's Jesus saying? Healing is the children's bread. Go get bread anytime you want. If you're sick, come up and grab a piece of bread. I'll get, get, go into the bread basket, grab a slice of bread, put some butter on it, eat it. It's yours. Healing is the children's bread. Anytime you want it, you can have it. It's the children's bread. Am I, am I preaching the word of God to you today? Matthew 15, 26, look it up. That's the word of God. But Jesus, not only can we receive healing, every believer can pray for the sick to be healed. How do I know that? Because Jesus said it. Where did he say that? Matthew, Mark 16, 17 and 18 said, these signs, everybody say these signs. Mark 16, 17 and 18. These signs shall follow all those who believe in me. They shall speak with new tongues. Speaking in tongues was Jesus' idea. 
Not some crazy charismatics idea. It was Jesus' idea. He said, these signs will follow all. Speaking in tongues should be the normal experience of every believer, not the radical extreme. Am, am I right? What you'll hear on radio is that speaking in tongues was a minor gift that only a few people got, and it expired in 90 AD when John the Apostle died. Show me that in the Bible, baby. Show me in the Bible, I'll believe it. If you can't prove it, I don't believe it. What we know is that speaking in tongues was the most common gift in the New Testament because all 120 in the upper room got it. We don't know if they all had faith. We don't know if they all had work in the miracles. We don't know if they all had the word of wisdom, but we know they all spoke in tongues. It should be the normal experience of every believer to speak in new tongues, to speak in a heavenly language, to talk to God in a supernatural language. I mean, how hard, if you believe in a God that came from heaven, was born inside the womb of a virgin, died on a cross, rose three days later, why is it hard for, for you to believe that God could download orbits into your spirit in a supernatural moment? I mean, tongues is orbits on crack. I mean, God, bam, downloads. It's like Matrix style. Bam, he plugs it in, and you got a supernatural language. Why is that so hard for you to believe when you believe in God that was born, a God who was born in the womb of a virgin? I mean, that's crazy, right? Can, can I get it? That's crazy. I believe it, but it's crazy. Now, believe that God could give me a language. That's not crazy. Are you with me today? They shall speak in new tongues. They shall lay their hands on sick people, and they shall get well. Every believer has power inside of them to heal the sick. Did you know that? Did you know that? You can lay your hands on sick people anytime you want. They can get sick. A few months ago, we anointed every person in our church. We laid hands on every person. We anointed them with anointing oil to go lay their hands on the sick. A lady in our church has been saved about a year. She's a nurse. She went and prayed for this guy who was supposed to die that day on hospice. He was they were going to pull the plug that night. She said, well, my pastor lay hands on him. He's going to get healed. She lays hands on him. Jesus' name, be healed. Amen. That's all she knew. He got healed. Two days later, they called her and said, hey, remember that patient? He, sent, he gets sent home. He's totally healed. He's 90% uh, turnaround. It's unbelievable. He's just healed. He went home. He's no longer here. See, every believer has the power. It's not just people who have the gift of healing. Every believer can heal the sick. Number three, say raise the dead. Matthew 10 and verse 8, it says heal the sick. Raise the dead. In, in 2001, at a crusade in Onitsha, Nigeria, a man was raised from the dead at Reinhard Bonnke's crusade. Pastor Daniel, he was dead for over 42 hours. Dead for 42 hours. The family, he died. They'd embalmed him. They took him to the service, took a casket to the service. He was raised from the dead. True story. This was just 10 years ago. This wasn't 2,000 years ago. This was 10 years ago, all right? True story. See, God wants to use us to be a supernatural church, amen? A supernatural church. Matthew 10, 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy. So number four, say, I will cure lepers. Say, I will preach the gospel. I will heal the sick. I will raise the dead. I will cure the lepers. Now, isn't this kind of redundant? Isn't healing the sick <laughs> kind of cover curing the lepers? Isn't that redundant? I mean, aren't lepers sick people? <laughs> Heal the sick, cure lepers. Okay, I got it the first time. Like, didn't that kind of cover lepers and cancer and everything? Here's the thing. Lepers were the untouchable in Jesus' society. They would be cast out of their city. They had to go to leper colonies. They would never be touched again by another human being. No hug, no handshake, no keys. No hug, 
big hug, little keys. No handshakes. No taps. Never be touched. Imagine if you would never be touched again. I mean, I can't keep my wife's hands off me. I don't know what that would be like. I mean, to never be touched again, what would that be like? I have no idea what kind of pain that would be. So Jesus said, look, not only heal the sick, but cure the leprosy in your society. Cure and touch out. Touch the untouchable. Cure those who've been cast off from society. There's some people that have been cast off from our society. People with HIV AIDS or such a stigma. There's 60 million people worldwide who've been impacted by AIDS. 24 million of them have died. Right now in Africa, there are 14 million AIDS orphans. There are over 1 million people in America with AIDS and HIV. And the church has been silent. We need to lead the way. The church needs to lead the way in compassion with the love of Christ, with healing. See, I believe that Jesus heals blood disease, every type of blood disease. We're going to see HIV AIDS healed. We're going to see not just medicine. We're going to see God. My brother was a heroin addict for 17 years. He spent three years in prison for stealing my identity. He got out of prison a year ago. Drug dealer, one of the number one drug dealers in our state. Part of the, he was part of the Mexican cartel. Trafficking drugs, even in prison. Came back to Christ in prison in the hole. Rededicated his life to Jesus Christ. He had been suffering with, with hepatitis C for 16 years from intravenous drug use. He got out of prison. He was going to go on the medication for it. But they said, you're at such advanced stages of hepatitis C, there's very little chance it will have any impact on you. And it's like chemotherapy. It's really dangerous stuff. And he went in. He'd been tested in prison. He went in the day he was going to go in to start the treatment. He called me up and said, Brian, I'm here in the clinic to start my hepatitis C uh, medication for a year. It's like chemotherapy. They say even if I do it, there's probably little chance after 17 years of heavy drug use. Would you pray for me right now that God will heal me? True story, right, babe? He shared it at Passion Church a few weeks ago. On the phone, I pray for him. I said, right now, in Jesus' name, the blood of Jesus flows through John Allred. And I declare the blood of Jesus is healing that blood, incurable blood disease right now. Hepatitis C, gone from your blood right now. Amen. I don't need to belabor the point. It's done. The nurse comes in 20 minutes later, and she's hooking him up to the IVs. And he says, uh, I want to know the results of my blood test. She goes, well, you have hepatitis C. You were tested three months ago in prison. I said, yeah, yeah, but I, you know, I want to know the, the new result. What are the new results of the test? Well, I mean, we're still waiting on it, but, I mean, you have hepatitis C. It doesn't go away. So, yeah, but I still want to see. Before you start the drugs, I want to see the new test results. So she came in about 15 minutes later. She said, are you John Caleb Allery? He said, yeah. He goes, you do not have hepatitis C. I don't know what happened. We have the results from three months ago, but this new test result, you have no trace of hepatitis C in your blood. We need to be, lead the way and touch the untouchable. Sex offenders, registered sex offenders are the lepers of our day. We need to be a church that has a way to restore them to God. We have a plan at Passion Church how to reconcile and restore registered sex offenders to the body of Christ. Our insurance company said it's very dangerous. You can get sued, and most churches have a policy that they're not even allowed on their campus. But if you want to do it, there's a way to do it legally. And I said, in the Bible, is there a way to justify saying to a certain class of people, you can't, you can't find salvation here? There's not. We're a church of grace. And so it's very unpopular. I have kids in kids' church. <laughs> I have three kids. But the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to change and transform registered sex offenders.
There's no limit to the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, give God praise. Stand to your feet. If I can get the worship team. Matthew 10, 8, lastly, number 5, he says, drive out demons. Everybody say, drive out demons. All right, say, I will preach the gospel. I need everybody to do this with me. Say, I will preach the gospel. I will heal the sick. I will raise the dead. I will cure lepers. And I will drive out demons. See, Mark 16, 17, and 18. These signs shall follow all those who believe in me. They will speak in new tongues, they will heal the sick, and they will cast out demons. Every believer has the power to cast out demons. I know you're in a supernatural series. You're talking about the real powers of demonic forces. I went to Bible college in upstate New York when I was 17 years old. Been through one semester of Bible college. Can you guys start playing something lightly? Backgrounds? Awesome. 17 years old, one semester of Bible college. I'm there with uh, the maintenance director. He was a pastor on staff. We went down, and there was a guy that was cutting our lilac trees, 180-acre campus. He'd come up. He was cutting down all our lilacs and selling them in the local town, and we were trying to catch him. So finally, one day, we were waiting behind, like, the dumpsters where we, they dumped the garbage. We were waiting in the maintenance truck, and we caught him cutting down our lilac trees, and we went in, we approached him, and you could see demons jumping off this guy, man, just crazed look in his eyes. I mean, just freaky, scary. I'm 17 years old, one semester of Bible college under my belt. We start talking to this guy. He starts manifesting weird voices, weird stuff. Now, see, when people talk about this in church, you get all weirded out. But you'll go watch the exorcism of Emily Rose and think nothing twice. You'll watch Blair Witch Project and, and, and Harry Potter, and you'll think nothing twice. But if a church talks about it, oh, they're weird. You're weird. <laughs> Jesus talked about it, man. He starts manifesting. The maintenance instructor says, uh, Brian, I don't know what to do. Could, could you do something, man? I'm like, what do you mean me? I'm 17 years old. I mean, you're a college graduate. He goes, I've never cast out demons. He goes, you're a missionary kid. Surely you've done it. I've never cast out demons. Have you seen it done? I was like, yeah, I've seen it done. I've never done it. 17, did I mention that? He goes, uh, do something, bro. I don't know what to do, man. This guy's like, ah. I was like, I've seen this done. Let me see. What did Jesus say? Okay, he went to the man with, called Legion. He had a lot of demons. He said, Go. So I looked at the man and I said, go. Nothing happened. <laughs> I was like, go in Jesus' name? I don't know. <laughs> What's the formula? I don't know. So look, do you want to be free? You have demons in your life. I can see it right now. Do you want to be free? Boldness came over me. I'm a very shy guy by nature, but this boldness rarely took over me. And I said, do you want to be free? And he said, yeah. I said, let me pray for you right now. I put my hand on his shoulders. Demons start coming out, jumping out. He's screaming. He gets set free. He looks up. His eyes are changed. He goes, I, it was about eight years ago. I don't know what happened, but this darkness took over me. I saw these black shadows coming in my room, and at night they lift me up off my bed, and I've lived in terror for eight years. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. We took him up to the Bible college and got him a Bible. This is a true story. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a degree in demonology. But I believe that I'm on the spot that Jesus is in me. And that Jesus in me is a powerful God. How many of you believe in a powerful God? How many believe that your G-O-D is B-I-G? Oh. Somebody say my G-O-D is B-I-G. Somebody say my G-O-D is B-I-G, baby. You have a big supernatural God living inside you. Here's what I want to do if we could dim the lights. If you're here today and you say, you know what? 
I want, I want that. I want to live a supernatural life. I'm tired of normal Christian living. I want to live the way Jesus lived. I want to feel the way Jesus felt. I want to preach the gospel, and I want to heal the sick, and I want to cast out demons. I want to have power inside of me. It's for every believer. You don't have to have it if you don't want it. But if you want, to, if you want it, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get out of your seats and come to this altar. We're going to pray for you. If you say, you know what, Brian, I want to do this stuff, get out of your seats right now. Come forward. If you don't, that's okay. But you say, man, I want to do this stuff. I want to do the stuff that Jesus did. Be bold right now and just get out of your seats. Amen, amen. Thank you. I'm not here to push anything on you. I just want you to encounter Jesus Christ. You say, man, I, I want to do the stuff that Jesus did. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Thank you. I want you to lift your hands to heaven right now. Bible says in Acts 2 verse 1 that when the day of Pentecost was fully come there came the sound of a mighty rushing wind into that room at Washington Elementary and there sat above them tongues of fire Jesus said in Acts 1 when you receive the Holy Spirit you shall receive power to be my witnesses right now I'm going to release a supernatural power Upon your life, you're never going to be the same. Lift both your hands up high to heaven right now. It's about to hit you right now. Prayer team, urban prayer team, come around and begin to lay hands on them. Come on, urban prayer team, fast, fast, fast. Move, move, move. Make sure every person gets their hands, hands laid on them. We're going to impart supernatural power to you right now. Everybody say, I'm ready for supernatural power. I'm ready to do this stuff. I will preach the gospel. I will heal the sick. I will raise the dead. I will cure lepers. I will heal the sick. In Jesus' name.